It's been a few weeks since Sam Bankman-Fried was found guilty of seven counts of fraud, money laundering and other charges by a jury in Lower Manhattan. He could get 20 years in jail. For those of you who followed Crypto Kingpins, none of this would have come as a surprise. Since 2019, when Sam set up crypto exchange FTX, he played fast and loose. His scam imploded in 2022 when crypto prices collapsed forcing Sam and his colleagues to steal money from customers to cover trading losses. When Coindesk, a crypto news organization, reported that Sam's empire was basically insolvent, the house of cards collapsed. Changpeng Zhao, chief of rival exchange Binance, was Sam's one-time mentor and investor in FTX. But after the news from Coindesk, Zhao, or CZ, decided to sell his holdings of FTX tokens sending the exchange spiraling into bankruptcy. The FTX token has fallen by double digits. The head of rival exchange Binance saying his firm would liquidate its holdings of that token, citing recent revelations. Breaking news, crypto platform FTX filing for bankruptcy protection in the U.S. today. And the exchange's CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, is stepping down. CZ had given FTX its first major capital injection. But as the exchange grew, Sam moved to force out his former mentor, attempting to bring Binance down by painting CZ as a criminal in meetings with US regulators and potential investors. As FTX sank, CZ must have enjoyed watching Sam's demise. But the schadenfreude didn't last long. Just weeks after Sam was found guilty in Manhattan, CZ too was arrested. As it turned out, Sam hadn't been wrong about him. To understand what the demise of both SAM and CZ means for crypto, and to look more deeply at the future of the industry, I talked to some of the experts from the series. Welcome to this second bonus edition of Crypto Kingpins. Back in episode one of Crypto Kingpins, we met with a man behind Dirty Bubble Media, the preeminent crypto blogger, James Block. He's been ahead of some big scoops about FTX. And it's not even his full-time job. You're also a physician, right, James? Yes, I am. When we last spoke at the very start of this year, Sam Bankman-Fried had been arrested only a few weeks before. Now, as you know, he's been convicted. For those who followed the trial closely, like James, the verdict was no shock. It wasn't a surprise at all. I mean, especially... um there were very few witnesses called from the defense side. And then once they put Sam on the stand, that was, he basically sealed his own fate. James is, of course, referring to Sam's painful cross-examination by prosecutors at trial. He was evasive and snide. The low point was when Sam mockingly mimicked the prosecutor's voice. This sealed his fate. But even a more restrained performance probably wouldn't have made it any easier for his lawyers. For years, Sam had joked about evading financial regulations and even admitted to fraud openly in recorded interviews. And the entire senior management of FTX took the stand for the government. There's nothing they could do. I mean, he had not only admitted publicly what he was doing, but he had every one of his close collaborators testifying against him. So, I mean, everybody turned against him. And he never seemed to realize that he was caught and that you have to kind of change your strategy at a certain point. As predicted by many, Sam's moment on the witness stand didn't serve him well. But what about his victims? Thousands of people lost money in the collapse of FTX. Did the trial deliver what they needed 
To find out, we check back in with Margot Abedishan. My name is Margot Abedishan. I've been a serial cryptocurrency entrepreneur since 2012. You might remember Margot from episode 5 of Crypto Kingpins. As well as an entrepreneur, she's a stand-up comic and was the master of ceremonies at FTX's Bahamas conference. A high point for Sam, where he appeared on stage with Bill Clinton and Tony Blair. For Margot, though, the glitzy conference was overshadowed by what came only a few months later. When FTX collapsed, she lost a significant amount of money on the exchange. It's great that he was guilty. I think a lot of people thought, you know, he'd be able to skirt around that. So in those terms, justice was served. Much like James, Margot was surprised by the poor quality of Sam's defence. You know, his defence was just so terrible. He didn't really do himself any favours either with the way he answered questions and his looks and just kind of defiant, cavalier attitude. Questions about his defence are all the more surprising given Sam's background. Both of his parents, Barbara Freed and Joseph Bankman, are respected lawyers and professors at Stanford Law School. Yes, and the fact that both of his parents are attorneys is also kind of mind-boggling. Even leading up to the trial, the things he was doing, I mean, to get your bail revoked, that was shocking because he's literally living with two lawyers and has lawyers. And the decisions he was making just made it seem like he felt he was above the law. Beyond Sam's jailing, there's another potential silver lining for Margot and other investors. Despite his bumbling, Sam had FTX invest $500 million in Anthropic, an AI company, which is now worth billions of dollars. And those profits could help repay investors. We don't yet know just how much jail time Sam is facing. He won't be sentenced until March 2024. But experts say it's likely to be a decade or more. Running back to back, the maximum sentences for his crimes add up to 150 years. But even to the very end of his trial, Sam maintained he'd done nothing wrong. Perhaps he'd even convinced himself. I'm sure SBF is looking on from prison and thinking that, you know, if they just held out, they would be solvent, you know, of this whole situation. I'm sure he probably blames CZ for a lot of this. I'm sure he blames everyone but himself. Sam may well blame CZ. They were, of course, rivals, and CZ's decision to cash out his FTX tokens pushed the first domino in the collapse of FTX. But things haven't been so rosy at Binance either. As we explained in previous episodes, the rival crypto exchange has its own legal woes. By June 2023, it was being sued by US regulators, the CFTC and the SEC, and it was already subject to a years-long investigation by the Department of Justice. Then, in November, big news. CZ was out. The U.S. government slapping Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, with $4.4 billion fine and mandating that it exit the United States. The company's CEO, Jinping Zhao, pleaded guilty to federal criminal charges as part of a settlement with the Department of Justice. We just got a tweet or an X from CZ. Here he says he stepped down as CEO of Binance. Admittedly, it was not easy to let go emotionally. He says it was the right thing to do. He says here, I made mistakes and I must take responsibility. It's best for the community. CZ resigned, pleading guilty to failing to maintain an effective anti-money laundering program at his exchange. 
the fines agreed in the settlement were some of the largest penalties ever obtained by the Justice Department, with CZ personally ordered to stump up a $50 million penalty. For some crypto devotees, though, CZ is still a winner. Even if he faces his own jail time, he'll probably be out in 18 months, not two decades like Sam. And unlike Sam, the Justice Department made no accusation that CZ had stolen customer money. Binance has survived, and CZ remains one of the world's wealthiest people. But it's not over yet. As part of his plea deal, he agreed to allow independent monitors inside Binance for the next five years. The Justice Department said Binance had failed to stop bad actors like Hamas and the Iranian regime from using the exchange to launder money. And now monitors, chosen by US authorities, will be pouring through years of financial transaction records. I asked James Block what he made of this plea agreement. I think that um, the crypto folks are calling victory way too early with this. A lot of the crypto commentators who are, you know, like, this is a great thing for the industry. Everything's taken care of. There's nothing else coming. You have to note that part of this deal, Binance is literally paying someone chosen by the government to investigate them, to go over every transaction they've, they've done over the last, you know, how many ever years they've existed, right? Binance is still the largest crypto exchange in the world, with $65 billion in customer assets. But such heavy-handed monitoring by the government is likely to put off investors who were attracted to crypto precisely due to its secrecy. To me, the, the more important part of this deal isn't the fine, the $4 billion fine, although that's important. The bigger part of this deal is that the compliance aspect of it and the monitoring aspect of it. That's going to be more important than anything. I mean, think about it this way. Would you want to do business with Binance knowing that the U.S. government is literally observing every single transaction? If you think about who their customers have been historically? If the monitoring arrangement uncovers further evidence of criminal activity by the exchange, more charges could be leveled against CZ and the firm. If they find anything more, there could be additional charges very easily. Another thing that's worth noting is that the SEC did not settle with them. James is alluding here to another important detail. The DOJ agreement has wrapped up the department's investigation against Binance and the CFTC's lawsuit. But the Security and Exchange Commission's civil suit against the exchange remains unresolved. I don't think we've seen the end of what's going to happen with Binance. Where some people see a win for Binance, others believe its prospects are bleak. James is among them. People seem to think this, this deal saved them. I think this deal is like slowly going to kill them. And the SEC isn't stopping at Binance. It's also suing Coinbase, the largest US-based crypto exchange, for allegedly selling unregistered securities. The commission argues that crypto tokens are securities and should therefore fall under its regulatory scrutiny. This is all part of efforts by US authorities to bring crypto to heel. When the industry started, the action was all offshore in poorly regulated markets like Hong Kong. But now, millions of Americans are customers too and the US is making it harder to sell to them. The frenzy of earlier years looks unlikely to return. One person who's seen it all play out is Angus Berwick. The last time we spoke, he was reporting for Reuters on the secret backdoor discovered in FTX's codebase, allowing Sam to steal customer funds. He's still reporting on cryptocurrency today, now for the Wall Street Journal. When you kind of survey the landscape now, it does seem like a slightly more sober place. From a kind of reporting standpoint, I mean, you know, you've lost the megalomaniac, charismatic 
people who've kind of made the industry an incredibly exciting area to cover, you know, the Bankman Freeds, the CZs. The industry may have lost some of its biggest names, but this crackdown doesn't mean crypto is going away. Bitcoin prices have almost tripled year to date. And traditional finance players like BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, are hoping the SEC will soon allow them to sell exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, linked to crypto in the US. You know, a lot of the big institutional players are kind of muscling into the field now. You've got major banks and asset managers unveiling their own crypto initiatives. There's a whole new crop of custodian companies, which now are kind of holding customer assets. If big financial institutions like asset managers and banks are entering the crypto market, perhaps this really could be the start of a new era for the industry. One marked by acceptance and even confidence from traditional finance, as well as greater stability for investors. I think it is taking slow steps towards becoming another component of regular finance, especially if these ETFs get approved. And certainly crypto doesn't appear to be disappearing anytime soon. But James Block, the crypto blogger, is cynical about why big institutions might now be choosing to get involved in the industry. We see them seeing an opportunity to make some money. The idea that them creating an ETF is an endorsement of the, the asset, I don't really buy that. I think that they see something that they can sell, that's all. Despite his skepticism about the new players in the field, James agrees that ETFs could bring crypto assets to a bigger US audience than ever. Not just crypto diehards, but ordinary investors could get involved. So, you know, the idea that an ETF is going to make Bitcoin more accessible to the masses, it's, I mean, it makes sense, right? ETF is a much easier thing to access. Anybody with a brokerage account can buy one, whereas buying Bitcoin directly is a little more challenging unless you have a little bit of technical knowledge. The irony isn't lost on people like James, that those who proclaim crypto would be a less elitist, more transparent break from traditional finance and now welcoming old school giants like BlackRock into the industry with open arms. It's funny watching the really uh, prominent Bitcoin advocates talking about how great this is when historically their narrative has always been that this is the alternative to the traditional finance system. And all of a sudden, oh, it's great that the BlackRock is going to be taking over the Bitcoin market, essentially. I think that they see a way to make more money and that that's what they're going to do. But that doesn't mean crypto's underbelly will disappear outside the U.S. Around the world, other exchanges are growing, including those based in the Seychelles, Russia, and Hong Kong. There certainly is the crypto Wild West. Its kind of center of gravity has shifted. If you want to find the Wild West, is still out there. So maybe the future of crypto will take us right back to where we started. Lawless firms operating offshore in poorly regulated markets. But now customers in the US, the biggest market in the world, will find it harder than ever to participate in crypto activities outside the watchful eye of regulators. The fact that they've managed to curtail the largest actor in the crypto industry shows how much kind of importance kind of US authorities gave to reining in some of those actors and how, you know, if future actors kind of appear, then it wouldn't be surprising that they also faced similar actions. And what about the future of the two crypto kingpins in this story? According to Angus, Sam has already been up to his old tricks. Although prison currency isn't quite what he's used to. I don't know what Sam's second act is going to be. I do know that some colleagues here at the Journal reported that he's been trading mackerel for other food items. So, you know, 
Once a trader, always a trader, I guess. As for CZ, where once money bought him the freedom to shift his business between Singapore, Malta and Dubai, now it's tying him to the US, where a judge has forbidden him from leaving the country before he's sentenced in February. A significant factor in this decision, the judge said, was the extent of the defendant's enormous wealth. But he's unlikely to serve a lengthy sentence. And at 46 years old, with billions in the bank for his next venture, CZ won't remain out of the spotlight for long. With CZ, obviously, he remains immensely wealthy. I think it'll be interesting to see what his second act is. I think it's hard to believe that he's just going to play golf in Abu Dhabi for the rest of his years. Crypto Kingpins is a USG audio production in partnership with Project Brazen. It's written by me, Tom Wright, and managing producer, Megan Dean. From Project Brazen, Bradley Hope and I are executive producers. Josh Block is our executive producer from USG Audio. Mariangel Gonzalez and Nick Brennan are senior producers. Georgia G, Lucy Harley McEwen, and Ben Walsh are reporters for the project. Susie Armitage is story editor. Claire Urban is sound design supervisor, with sound design by Alex Port-Felix. Seymour Milton is composer. Lucy Woods is head of research. Brian Ho is series creative director. And Julien Pradier is series designer. Noor Abdel-Latif is podcast strategist. Production management from USG Audio by Josh Laulongi. For more information on this podcast and other podcasts from USG Audio, go to our website, usgaudio.com.